Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this thankful, thoughtful Thursday episode. We have Marshall Casey in the studio with us today. We're going to jump into an interview talking about him, his life, and the career path that he's chosen and what that career faces we're going to jump in after inspiration our inspiration today is all the answers dale earnhardt jr describes the awful moment he understood his father was gone motor racing legend dale earnhardt senior had just been killed in a horrific crash at the end of the daytona 500 a race in which dale jr had also participated there's this noise coming out of me that i can't recreate said the younger Earnhardt. It's this bellow of shock and sorrow and fear, and then the lonely truth. I'm going to have to do this by myself. Having dad was like having a cheat sheet, Earnhardt said. Having dad was like knowing all the answers. Jesus' disciples had learned to look to him for all the answers. Now, on the eve of his crucifixion, he assured them he wouldn't leave them alone. I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. Jesus extended that comfort to all who believed in him. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, he said. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Those who choose to follow Christ have within them the Spirit who teaches them all things, and reminds them that everything Jesus taught. We don't have all the answers, but we have the spirit of the one who does. Heavenly Father, help us to seek you for the answers that we need, and help us to trust you completely and find real peace in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, we need to find real peace. Is it no justice, no peace, no peace, no justice? I don't know. There's some chance going on out there in the world. But what we want to talk about is justice today. We do have Marshall Casey in. He is a local attorney, former judicial candidate. And we'll just start the conversation with him about his life and, and how he became an attorney. But looking at this inspiration, I think about the the racing Dale Earnhardt and kind of what he did throughout his life and, and that whole career path that career path is kind of what we've seen with the legal system and it's rubbing is racing. And if you're not ruthless, you don't win. And if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That is a statement that is said always in racing. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. And we kind of see that in the legal system a lot. I want to probably address that later in the conversation, but uh, welcome to the studio, Marshall. Thank you, Tim. So how did you end up an attorney? What have you done with your life? Just tell the audience who you are. Yeah, actually I, Thought it was good we started out with that comment because my dad's an attorney and I actually had started out never wanting to be an attorney. I started out in banking. I promised my wife I'd never be an attorney. And I came back one time from Louisville. I was living there and met with my dad. You were raised here in Spokane, I was raised here in Spokane. And we'd moved over to Louisville because my job had moved me there. Came back and was listening to my dad and my brother and they just inspired me on what you can do with justice, how you can help people. And I told my wife, I'm going to quit and go to law school. And she nearly killed me, but she supported me through it, came back here. Um, that was 2010. We came back, had our first child, and and it's been a roll, roller coaster since. So I, I really enjoy it. And I want to also talk about something that 
over the last year, one of the things God challenged me with about uh, November of November of 2022 was to go through the word justice in the Bible and kind of find out everywhere it had been used in the Old Testament. And as I did that and looked at it, one of the things is it truly is an attribute of God. And it's truly something that we only end up with if God's involved, at least true justice. And the thing that corrupts it, though, in the Bible is when you give preference to your own personal opinions or to your own personal needs in the moment. And I think that's the number one thing that we always have to deal with inside our court system. And as lawyers, is we always have to call, there's a preference going on here, whether it's a preference for your personal passions, whether it's a preference for your political convictions that are going on in that courtroom, whatever it is, that corrupts justice. So if a judicial decision is based upon a bias or an agenda, uh, maybe connections that, you know, obviously if somebody's connected to a case, a judge is supposed to recuse themselves. And of course we see that activism that happens at the Supreme court level. And they're always trying to, you know, play politics to, to get justices to recuse themselves. But you don't have to recuse yourself if you have a true sense of justice and you have the, uh, the case files and the constitutional foundations to say, I would put this person in prison, even though they're a fourth cousin. Yeah. Well, you don't. And actually, a recusal should be very unusual. But I mean, well, here's the thing. Judges are people. And so they will have bias. And that's the number one thing I think that's difficult for a lot of judges as they roll is recognizing their bias. And good ones do that. Other ones have difficulty doing it. And it's kind of fascinating. There's a times where I have actually gone and asked people to recuse themselves. I remember one of them, it wasn't a judge, but it was a commissioner where she was uh, she was talking about how she did not believe people should be talking about religion in the city council chambers. And no one should bring up Christianity and everything and went on about that. And so I had to bring a motion to recuse her saying, hey, listen, you're violating the Constitution. You you're likely have some other reason you're going to vote this way. So, yeah, I mean, it's that. But I think the more judges acknowledge their... I guess their biases, their internal biases, the better off we become. And that ends up perverting justice. Even if they don't like someone, that can be a bias. And I think knowledge and education also is an issue here. And it's not just in the judiciary, but in the legislative branch, executive branch, and with the citizenry and the voters. If we don't have a foundation of truth, like you brought up the Bible and the true sense of justice, you know, God's sense of justice, and uh, the grace that Jesus Christ bought, brought to the, the world because if we had full justice, things wouldn't work out well for a lot of us. <laughs> yes, they would not. So there's that grace. And, and we have that also in the, in the judicial branch that there is ability for grace in certain situations in, in hearings and in uh, you know, prison sentencing and in different things. But we lack the foundation of the reason why we have a government, the reason why we have a judicial branch, its role in governance. And if we don't understand those things, we can't see true justice because all these entities, whether it's corporations or political parties, these entities want to use the levers of government to accomplish things that fit their agendas, regardless yeah. of what those agendas are. But that's not the, the reason why we have government. And 
and it totally violates the foundations of justice. Yeah. Well, and one of the biggest things for us, um, just talking about kind of how the how things have rolled for us since I guess 2020 has been a huge shift in the way our government works and the way we work. Everything shifted. You know, it was interesting watching some of the court cases that came out of the whole government shutdown, all this stuff where our courts have come down. One of the biggest things is the judiciary has had to start determining what the role of government is at different points and re-looking at it very clearly. There's a case that I think uh, was probably framed wrong when it came out of our Washington Supreme Court. I don't know if you remember, it was whether or not prisoners were going to be released because of COVID. Oh, that I do remember. Yeah. And the absurdity of that notion violates the purpose for justice, obviously. Well, it does, but it's interesting how that case came out. It came out way different than everyone. Everyone talked about that being the issue. But the real issue was when does the governor have power to pardon that's where the five members came down on it saying, no, the governor's got the power of pardon. We're not going to interfere. And the four dissenting justices came out and said, we think the courts have more of a say in the midst of a government executing this kind of power than just sitting on the sidelines. And so we all saw it as, oh, is do, are we going to pardon prisoners? When the reality of what they were fighting on is when should the court interfere with an executive power. And it's very interesting that, and I'm not sure what level of bias came in here because the four justices actually that wrote the dissent, I like their dissent. They're saying when the government is ex is using this kind of executive power, we need to be involved. And I think that's absolutely true. What's the checks and balances of, of the system constitutionally we're supposed to have? Yeah, and you wonder, though, if they would have said it if it was a conservative issue, that they would have said the same thing. I mean, because right. these were the four very liberal justices on that court. And so sometimes you wonder, is that your bias speaking? or and you, But you said something that's true. And so I think inside the judicial system, the number one role of lawyers in the judicial system, this is what I've come to realize, is we're there to frame the argument and say, this is what should be happening. We don't get to say what does happen. And so our role as an advocate, my role, and I've learned this more and more, is to sit there and say, can I lay this out in a way of, you're either going to get a choice to follow the law or a choice to follow your bias. How do I get you to state this as clear as possible, what the law is, and encourage you to go down that road? And, you know, there are places where we've got legitimate disputes, but sometimes they'll, you look at the judge and the outcome and you're like, that didn't seem right. But part of that is if the lawyer didn't frame it strongly and clearly. And so we need well, a I'm lot sure of you see a lot of cases like that where the court, and it's a judge that, you know, I've seen where judges come out with a decision that seems like they didn't make sense. But when you look at the arguments that the attorneys yeah. brought forward, they didn't argue it properly. They used the, the <laughs> total wrong portion of the law yeah. when they could have used the other legitimate portions of the law to argue the case. And so the judge is is making a ruling on the merits of the arguments. The judge isn't bringing forward, well, you didn't use the right law guy. They don't do that, right? Yeah, sometimes. And I guess here's the number one, one of the good things I think about, a, or one of the things I like in good judges is they actually do listen to the, the attorneys who argue, and then they stay within that role. So hopefully we've got attorneys who are arguing good things, but you will have judges who will go off 
on just tangents and they'll be like, attorneys annoy me. I'm not listening to you. And they forget the attorney is there to help them. So I love it when I get a judge who's like, listens to me. They don't have to agree with me, but at least listens and understands that I'm there to help them, not there to fight with them. Well, and attorneys don't really have a, a really high approval rating. I would say there's a lot of jokes about attorneys. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you've heard some yes. good ones. And it's kind of yesterday we had a discussion about law enforcement with uh-huh. a law enforcement officer. And, you know, officers, there's, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of approval of officers, but there's also a lot of dissenting voices out there about how law enforcement acts. And, and it's important to have good law enforcement officers because yes. I think there's a lot more good ones than there are bad ones. I'm not sure that's the case with attorneys, but, <laughs> but we need more, we need more good attorneys because attorneys become judges and we need good judicial decisions, but we also need good attorneys that are going to make arguments based upon what is just and yeah. not looking just for an outcome that, that benefits, you know, certain entities. And so I think that uh, when you're looking at, uh, going back to the beginning of, of our conversation, your father was an attorney. You never wanted yeah. to do it because you probably heard all the jokes in high school and college about the, the attorneys and, and looking at the corporate system of, of how our ju- judicial system has gone down that road. So you didn't want to become an attorney. You became an attorney, and you correlated that with the Earnhardt family and the rubbing is racing. I think that you're going to start rubbing a little bit more in your in your life experience as an attorney because the legal system has found itself in trouble in a lot of ways and we're, we're starting to mix the legalism and politics and it's not in a good way so we need more good attorneys to kind of sort this out and end up in front of judges sorting out what the truth is between the branches of government the difference between executive authority legislative and the judiciary so we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break again with marshall casey former judicial candidate and local attorney, condition of the judiciary. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective on this thankful, thoughtful Thursday episode. The reason why it's thoughtful isn't because we have an attorney in with us, but it is an, a, a thoughtful attorney that we have with us today in Marshall Casey. And we wanted to jump in with the condition of the judiciary. We talked a little bit about ethics of law and the reasons for justice, but now we have a judiciary that isn't really representative of the Constitution, in my feeling. We're going to see how Marshall feels about that. So let's jump into the conversation about the condition of the judiciary. In the first half, we talked a little bit about the biases, the bleeding of you know, political narratives from other branches of government into the judiciary. What are your thoughts? What is the future uh, locally and at our, in our state Maybe in, at the um, federal level, too. Yeah, let me actually start with the federal level because everyone's very interested in what's going on at the federal level. I think at the federal level, the thing that is most disappointing to me is the attack of our media on the judiciary lately, the attack of the legislature of Congress on some of the uh, Supreme Court members. And all it does at that level is try and tear down our belief in the power of the judiciary and that it can give us good law. Yeah. That's one of my concerns of what's going on right now at that level is I think there is a, an attack to try and tear down our belief in the judiciary. Well, it seems like what we're seeing now so much politically is that we're not taking our arguments on issues to the people 
and and letting them decide. Of course, we've got the media that's trying to form narratives that uh, misinforms the the people. And of course, now we've got this big thing about misinformation to silence everybody but the media that's the right. biggest misinformers. And the government puts out a lot of misinformation as well. But they're using lawfare to try to change the dynamics of how our republic mm-hmm. works. Well, and that... I think that comes down in the, one of the big cases we have right now in front of the Supreme Court that will be shocking, and people are beginning to talk about it, is overturning the Chevron Doctrine, which is whether or not there needs to be deference by the judiciary for some of these unelected uh, regulatory branches. That's going to be a big shocking one. But talking about uh, our de- that brings me more into the local elections, though, that we talked about at the state level, I think I love the fact that our judiciary is elected at the state level. And the reason I like that is it brings us back to the republic we should have, that comes the, all the power comes from we the people. And we have a problem, I think, especially in the Spokane area, where many of our judges end up being more appointed than they do elected. And we don't have a lot of information that comes out during an election. Well, and that oh. drives us nuts here on the Right Spokane Perspective as a, as a show, as a program, because we yeah. want to inform voters. And, you know, we have lots of candidate interviews. Not all the candidates come in, but rarely do we have judicial candidates come in because they don't want to speak about any issues. They don't want to talk about even their uh, belief about the judicial system. So we, we can't even have a conversation with most judge candidates because they won't talk to us. And so then voters are just voting blind. But the other problem with that is that, how do you vote for judges when there's only one on the ballot? It seems yeah. almost like we don't have an elected judiciary. We have a supremacy clause somewhere in, <laughs> it's not in the constitution really, but with this supremacy clause of this is who got appointed and they're going to have a lifetime appointment to our local courts, right. our state courts, because there's no one that can legitimately run against them. And it almost seems like the the legal system would use lawfare uh, to go after a law license of somebody running for judge they didn't like. I yeah. mean, I don't know if that's true, but it just feels that way. Yeah, there's always the possibility. I think the, I think I don't know if they go after the license as much, but we have a, we do have a thing where judges don't always want to talk about their views and everything. And, and I understand it to some some bit. They don't want to be political. They want to come across as you know we we follow the law. We do this. But the judges, the way our Constitution is structured here in Washington, is they are there to be for the people. They Mm -hmm. are there to be responsible to the people. And I think we need more communication from the judges to the people, especially considering the way our bench has been in in Spokane. Mm -hmm. I mean— Well, I look at the bench in Spokane, not too different from the federal level in some aspects. Like the question— so the question that went to one of the Supreme Court justices, a lot of people wanted to go after that appointment to the court because the individual would not identify the definition of a woman. Uh-huh. Because now we're allowing courts to make decisions on something like that, right? And, right. and obviously the, the judges are always saying, well, I don't want to talk about that issue because it could come before me in the future as a case. But some of these things... How do you have a system that creates, we're going to have a judicial system and a judicial system, uh, uh, executive branch, you know, whatever uh, government body that can just say, no, from now on, the sky is purple. And uh, if the courts agree with us, that's how we all have to live. 
it seems like our government and the powers of all these branches have gotten out of control of what cases should even come before them because there's just certain things I think that our government shouldn't be able to define. Well, there is an issue in that. And I, I guess here's how I would put that is I personally think that we as a people need to have a morality that is higher in our belief system than our law. The law should be the foundational rules by which society will step in and clear something up. It should not be the the moral ceiling of, hey, here's how high we, if I'm operating legally, I'm operating morally. That Mm -hmm. shouldn't be it. But that's kind of where we left ourselves. We forced the the judicial system, the legal system, governing bodies to uh, justify immorality. Well, or to decide morality. They should be deciding, you know, if if I cross the line into you, they should be the base layer of if you fall beneath this line, you're you're bad. You know, they're the base layer. They should not be what actually sets morality. That should be in we as a people. Well, there's some, it, so. there's some argument about that in the legislative branch. I know the legislative branch is probably the most controversial branch for the judiciary because they <laughs> kind of write the rules of how the judges are supposed to make decisions. But this idea of legislating morality, and I've heard this argument actually from conservatives a lot, and it actually is the legislature's job to legislate morality because they have to, you know, how immoral is assault? Is it worth two years in prison or 10, right? When they're talking about creating, uh, you know, decisions based upon crimes. So they do actually legislate morality, but when it becomes a role in the judiciary, it's not morality. It's the basis of law of the representative government we have. Yeah. And I guess I may have, I may have put this wrong. Uh, so we look at someone being moral there. You're moral. You're upstanding until you've crossed the law. Oh no. And I, it, I understood your that, explanation of it. Yeah. That's the yeah. problem we have today is we're, we're expecting our, our law to be the one that defines, you know, am I acceptable in life? The reality is we should have a morality inside ourselves that is above the law. Yeah. What kind of government do we have? A republic, uh, you know, if you can keep it, right? It's a, it's a a governance that's for a moral people. Right. You know, with those famous quotes that we all know. And if we're not a moral people, maybe that's why our laws are immoral. And the judiciary following the legislative branch and legislative intents and the morality of our legislature, it does put, I think, you know, I don't want to put all the blame on the judges. Maybe you can find places where you can, but it seems like we've created, uh, our state constitution's great. I think we've created a condition uh, like a bureaucracy we have for people that are regulated. Everybody's in violation because we have regulations that if you follow that one, you're violating the other one. And it seems like we've put judges in that position. We have. With the extremities of of, uh, judicial regulation from our lawmakers, where they put these judges in in a corner and say, well, you're violating that if you make that call. And this is really the right call, but you can't make that because it violates this other legislative intent that we had. Yeah. I mean, and we've also put it in a bad condition of the more we use our judicial system to tell us what morality is, the weaker it becomes. That's the legislative branch just being weak and cowardice because they're the ones that are supposed to legislate morality, not the judiciary. Well, they're supposed to legislate into the law 
some morality. I mean, morality should come through it. Well, it's like what's we can take it down to something very simple, not the you know the social issues of the day, but when it comes to uh, your former um, career, let's talk banking. Yeah. Is it moral to charge? 70% interest, right? So our yeah. lawmakers decide what's moral in monetary uh, interactions between corporations and citizens. And so I, I don't think that's really ideological. I think most people would agree that 70% interest is usury and should be illegal, right? Right. Um, so how the judiciary acts on that, if the legislature guides it down a road of, well, two plus two can equal five, how do you legislate what interest rate is moral and then how does the judiciary enforce that if they if the legislature creates a gray area is kind of my, my thoughts yeah and well to bring that up let's bring that into an even more interesting issue is sometimes the legislature empowers our regulatory bodies to now go out and create law and create oh, standards the fourth and, branch of government and that becomes very yeah those are unelected officials i mean those are people who have no basis back to their election it, oftentimes i mean they could maybe through the governor but many of them are not in that arena they're they're there in a job they can't be fired from they're and i'm not saying they do a bad job but if you can't trace your power back to the people can mm -hmm. you say you're you're coming from are Republican democ democratic standards? I mean, well, now you're taking me issue. down this. You're taking me down this huge road. This uh, this <laughs> that's got nothing but dead ends because really the law doesn't support a fourth branch of government, and the law doesn't support a codified system. In my view, in the Constitution, it does not support an administrative branch that empowers individuals to not only write the law, the administrative code. And the power to adjudicate it within the same agencies. Yeah. But that's well, what we have. We do have it. And, and interestingly enough, I brought up the uh, Chevron Doctrine earlier. Yeah, yeah that's, let's dig uh, into that before we finish up the show. Well, I may not want to totally go into it because I'm not as deep into it as everyone else. But there is a doctrine that our judiciary should give deference to the agencies when they're interpreting the agencies, the agencies' regulations that come out. And so the Chevron Doctrine, we're talking about the role of the agency, the power of the agency. And I, and I see that yeah. in administrative law where the, not only does the attorney general agency people, but they also decide who the administrative law judge is in the case. Yeah. And then the judge has to give deference. If you take it out of the administrative courts and into the other courts, they have to give deference to this agency, regardless of how uh, bad actors may have played roles here. Oftentimes they're supposed to start with an area of deference and that's one of the questions that is going on. What level of deference should we be giving at this at this place? Because it's really pushed a lot of a lot of power into those agencies. So where did the Chevron Doctrine come from? My understanding is it came from a case. And again, you're pulling me into something I brought you up, but I'm not as deep into it as I should be to be talking about it. Well, there's probably so. a lot of attorneys that have no idea, right? Yeah. And it depends on the area of law they're in. Well, and we've adopted it into our state law in many ways, much of the belief system. So even if it changes at the federal level, we will still be dealing with it inside the state level for quite a while. Um, but that's really the question. How much should the courts have to give deference to these unelected branches or people who are 
coming out with regulations. Well, and I've seen uh, that in the Administrative Procedures Act in Washington, and it really plays out negatively, mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily on, on uh, politi- political ideology, just on the sheer power of the agency and then the administrative law process, and then you go to a judge, and basically, if you're going up against a state agency, unless you've got a lot of money and, right. uh, and some kind of connection to power, don't even try. Well, it is hard. It's very hard. So we're out of time for today's show. That's unfortunate because I wanted to dig a little bit more into the Chevron doctrine. So maybe we can talk about that next time we have you on. So we'll have to come back. Maybe we'll do a quarter quarterly Casey report okay. on on the law and what's going on in Washington State because it seems like you're really trying to keep your uh, finger on the pulse of that. I, I love the law. It's fun. All right. Well, I'm sure your dad's proud of that. And, uh, you know, congratulations in, in uh, leaving the banking industry, which is probably not as popular as attorneys. I don't know which one's worse now. So, Well, I took the shift right at the time when bankers fell beneath lawyers. So, so that's great. That's great. But we're all still beneath everyone else. Yes. Well, we always want a better approval rating, but we also want to have uh, justice done. And so we need good attorneys out there. So we're going to have Marshall Casey back again. All that being said, we're out of time for today's show. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.